Did you know there's a Goldwater Brewing Company in Arizona? I actually did not. I yeah, will be there. Also. There it is. I'm sorry. And um, my shameless. Any relation? And so my dad asked me, he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, well, dad, it wasn't me. I don't own it. Sorry. <laughs> well, um, wait, so is there any relation? Or is it just a. Uh, yeah, very distant. Very distant. Barry Goldwater's like, old place. It's like a Barry Goldwater high school. Right I have here. to imagine it's one of Barry Goldwater's nieces or something. You know, great niece or, grand or, a, niece. or a grandson or a great grandson. But I was going to ask if you'd been. Well, you know what? Well, you know what? Now I'm going to seek it up because it's your namesake, so I have to go see it. I think I you should, and I, I think I think you should report back on the quality of the beer. Did you know that over five trillion dollars exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over two hundred and twenty billion dollars an hour. Now, how does this much money move every single day, and why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkenomics. Two bartenders who also happen to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business are going to sit down and drink to the global economy and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. Oh, wait, is it my turn or your turn? I don't know. Yes, is it? it's one of them. I don't know. There's only one way I, out. Well, uh, rock, paper, scissors for it? Rock, RPS, man. Oh, let's go. Ready? All right. All right. Rock, rock paper, paper, scissors, shoot. shoot. Scissors. All right. Rock, paper, scissors, scissors, shoot. Oh, I got you. Yes, you did. Oh, Scissors okay. twice in a row, that's bold. Yeah, I know, seriously, bold strategy, con. But anyways, welcome back to yet another episode, yet another presentation of Drunkenomics. This is the drinking podcast with an economics problem. Wasn't sure whose turn it was to welcome back this week, but we do still don't know, I guess I should say, who the more gracious host is because the Vix is now under 23. How? I don't know. But the VIX is now Why? at 2060. So, with that said, being the winner of huh. the Rock, Paper, Scissors match that we just had, and also being the, the more gracious host, I almost butchered that right there myself, but being the more gracious host, I, I would like to welcome us all back to the drinking podcast that is Drunkonomics. And we have an yeah, economics that, problem. That means I get to be the less gracious host again. Yeah. So that makes me Aaron, Aaron Wong, and that makes you... James Goldwater. Back in fine form as less gracious host. I love it. Yeah, seriously. He's coming up James right now. I'm liking it. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Speaking of coming um, up, uh, anything you want to cheers to this week? Yeah, actually, I mm. think uh, really fast before we get into our social media or anything else, everyone just needs to raise a glass of whatever you're drinking right now, unless you're currently driving or yeah. be otherwise distracting, in which case, wait until you get where you're going. Be safe. Be responsible. Be drunkenomical before anything else. And Absolutely. be ready to raise that glass. So raise your glass with me, folks. Here's to GameStop. GME for their first profitable quarter in three years i don't know, three years? I don't know. it's been at least three years so like, three yeah. years so good job GameStop. you did it somehow cheers to you to one fair, drink to you for those of you that could, for those of you that could track down a very old podcast from the very very beginning of drunkenomics we guest starred on a different one i can't remember which one it was but i, don't I think at that time called, yeah. i was saying during covid I would be surprised if GameStop survives. Well, it was actually year. right before COVID. It was like right before COVID because we were talking about, we didn't talk about a pandemic or anything like that. All we talked about it was, was that. it was a shift to like, uh, like, you know, like physical retail, brick and mortar to, That's right, right. to online. Yeah. So like we, to e-commerce. And how, and so. how they were going to have to, tra- and how they were going to have to transition their business into more of yeah. a, 
um, repair base than uh, actually being the brick and mortar because with yeah. digital downloads and everything else, their their business model was no longer viable exactly. um, or no longer as competitive as it once was. Yeah, exactly. There was um, less of a need for uh, a, you know a, a distributor like GameStop or you know companies like Microsoft near every mall or yeah. near every high school. So, exactly. Yeah. So cheers to GameStop. Not, Seriously, congratulations. They made it through. For nostalgic all this. reasons, I'm happy to be proven wrong. Yeah, me too. Uh, me too. I do remember going into GameStop and buying a GameCube. Remember those things? Loved it. Ooh. Loved it. Exactly. That was the still, I'm not going to lie, still the GameCube is my favorite gaming console. Huh. I still have the 360 for me. Oh. Um, oh okay. So, okay. I guess we're both. Yeah. Pretty I love the, then. don't get me wrong. I love the Xbox, but I love the Xbox One. I do love the, I, it's a step forward. I don't have the newest Xbox. Um, I will at some point. Yeah. But I don't know. It's, I'm also not much of a there's gamer. Something to be too, said for, so that's, there's something to be uh, said for those old, those old days with friends where you just a bunch of Xbox 360s together, projectors, TVs. And then you're just killing each other playing Halo and Halo. Absolutely! And Halo oh my god! Just, what, a, what a time! Oh, land parties! What they used to be. Yeah. Also, I, I was, um, I'm so bad at video games. You think that, like, you know, with all my chestnut checkers, that uh, I, I'd be great at video games, but I'm not. But uh, whatever. Anyways, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, or rejoining us, we, as the case may be. Yeah. Do we have um, anything? I, oh. Yeah, I think we do have to pour one out. And um, I'll be honest: as our first, as our first raise a glass, pour one out. Um, yeah. I'm gonna have to have this pour one out be to Drunkenomics to us. Um, we're gonna have to pour one out for us because Jim Cramer made sense today. Ooh, yeah, and that right. just pour one out. that that hurts. That's, you know, we gotta, um, gotta drip a little bit here. You gotta just ooh, that's that's rough. Uh, you know what's like? This I don't, I don't, I don't dislike the guy. I think, no, I, I think don't. he's actually, I, I think he's incredibly intelligent. I just think he's yeah. like when he's right, it's like no one cares. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, but when he's wrong, it's like how well this is the thing it's, it's so one like, of those things like it's they're un, they're almost always unforced errors yeah so like this thing about jim kramer is like i've met jim kramer i've had several interactions with jim kramer when i was an intern at cnbc i like the, the guy as a human being yeah very high octane guy like he's his on oh, screen that much is clear yeah, his on-screen personality exactly the same off screen like exactly the same at least it was around the studio i mean i you know never had like dinner with him or anything like that but uh like i probably have the most generous take on jim kramer in the entire <laughs> world and my take on Jim Cramer is that he's about, he's right about 40% of the time. It's just the 60% of the time where he's wrong, he's wrong a lot worse than he is right. Yeah. But he knows it's, a lot of facts. This, like he just, he just, he can cite oh, yeah. things and they're accurate. Like he, the, the stuff that he cites, like when he talks about accounting ratios for a certain company, like he pulls that out, like out of thin air, like, you know, he knows forecasts and revisions of like 20, of like 200 companies just like that. So exceptionally so, knowledgeable. Yeah. Exceptionally knowledgeable. Um, you know, his personal forecasting, I, you know, I, I'm, not too reliant on let's just say the least so yeah pour one out to jim kramer good for uh or pour one to us oh gosh pour it out to drunkenomics <laughs> well done jim yeah seriously <laughs> uh with that Sorry, said, yeah see it really hurts to have to say that um yeah, yeah no <laughs> uh, uh, if you want to if you want to give us some suggestions for uh for lift a glass pour one out uh mm -hmm. which is something we're gonna try and do every week now uh, check us out yeah. on our social media. So that's um, in the what used to be the metaverse. What's now just Facebook, just Facebook. and Instagram just, again. Yeah, just whatever. You can it check used us out be. at Drunkenomics, or you can just look up Drunkenomics or Drunkenomical, and then also, but separately, very separately, on Twitter at Drunkenomical. D R U N K E N O M I C A L. Wow, oh, less gracious. You're just getting so, so good at that. I can't believe it. I, I am. Dude, you're it's, getting like it's real the, good. It's the lack of grace that makes it. It really makes is. It yeah, last week you were terrible um, at it, but this week you're <laughs> back on top. That feels right. <laughs> Absolutely. And then from there, you can find the invite, the permanent invite that exists to our Discord, where we actually had some really great conversations yeah. in the filling. Yeah, field. exactly. But with that said, also, uh, nothing that we say is financial advice. I know it's kind of, we, we have to make this disclaimer. Yeah. You know, like it's we, not financial advice. It's not, uh, this isn't, um, these, our opinions do not reflect the views of our employers. Mm -hmm. Um, this isn't our opinion, and if it is their opinion, it is purely coincidental. You right. may actually wonder where we got um, this kind of 
context from it. It's actually if you look at the if you look at the end of any CNBC show, you'll yeah. see this disclaimer which says this is not, does not reflect the views of the company. And when it does, it's only coincidence. It's only yeah, it's exactly. Okay. So seriously, like I mean, nothing we say is financial advice. Absolutely not. We got to get that out of the way because uh, we're going to talk about things like Credit Suisse and, uh, or maybe not Credit Suisse. Yeah, that little. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, UBS. UBS. What, what did I say? Credit Suisse. Yeah. Who? Never heard of her. Never yeah. heard of it. Yeah. Uh, just like <laughs> yeah. we're going to talk about um, what? Uh, All right. Hang about... on. Citizens Bank. Oh yeah. Citizens that's right. Bank uh, they got the whole sweetheart deal from the FDIC. Uh, Absolutely. Why not? Why not boy, did here? Why... Um, yeah, boy. Boy, did they. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, first, yeah, first Citizens Bank Corps. That's who they are. Bank Not Corps. to be confused with S, yeah. um, SVB, despite... Mm-hmm. Them now being the same company. Though. Yeah. Ish. Well, the deposits and the loans, at least. Right. So, $74 billion worth of assets. It used to be SVB. Yeah, so it turns out... So, wasn't there like a bidding war, which I don't really want to call it a bidding war, because... Not I mean, really. Who, well, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't want to call it a bidding war, but there were bidders. There were multiple bidders going in saying, hey, yeah. we, you know, we want these so assets. It looked like there were... It looks like there were a few players that were trying to make plays to acquire those deposits and those loans. Um, yeah. Uh, first, well, uh, first Citizens Bank Corp out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Well, seemed, well, they, this is what the SEC seems have won. Yes. Yeah, so like, that's the reason why I don't want to call it a bidding war because the way they described the, uh, like all the banks that went into this deal, uh, like, yeah. you know, they, they call, it, looks they, like, it looked like a bunch of contractors trying to lowball. Exactly. So, <laughs> trying like, to lowball. That's, that's, like, so I forget who described it this way, but they, they said like, you know, the, the deal terms may be explained by tepid or underwhelming interest in SVB assets. Yeah. So, it, looked like, like, it looked like a bunch of lowballers trying to, a bunch of, a bunch of eBay auctioners trying right. to trying to pull one over on the FDIC, and I'll be honest: if this is the deal yeah. they went with, which what assumes is the best deal they had yeah. for First Citizens Bank, they got. Yeah. A, so, so, if you for those of you who have not yet read the the terms of the deal, they got a twenty three percent discount on the assets they were buying. So they bought seventy four billion dollars worth of assets for assets for a sixteen and a half billion dollar discount. Or $72 billion for a $16.5 yes, yeah, billion dollar discount. It's, so it, what did I come out to? So $72 billion worth of assets that was purchased for like, what, 50-something billion or something like that? Was that what yeah, it was? Yeah, 70-something for 50, for mid-50s. Okay, yeah. Um, which, that's pretty impressive. They had to give up something for that. And uh, what they had to give up was uh, some stock appreciation rights, which is to say that if that a First Citizens Bank stock performed well enough and hit certain metrics, that First Citizens Bank would be on the hook to pay the FDIC Five hundred million dollars. Five hundred million dollars because it's nothing. Five hundred million dollars. If someone says, "Let me explain how kickbacks work," and I guess really fast, I'm going to say legally this isn't a kickback, and I'm not actually accusing the FDIC of this being a kickback. What I'm saying is, what are you? What are you, Tony Soprano? I mean, yeah, yeah. So the way a kickback works essentially is, a, you give me your business, and then I kick some of that back to you down the road yeah. for it. I, I overbid, you select me, and then I give you some of that money. I'm not saying that First Capital, First Citizens is going to get kickback, but I am saying that when I get a $16.5 billion discount and the most money I may have to pay in the future for good performance on my part is half a billion dollars, I'm going to book, and this isn't actual accounting because yeah. this isn't how it actually works, but I would say personally, I would book a $16 billion win, just send the $500 million check tomorrow and go, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, well, it's, you, it's, it's you, assuming you play yourself. Well, it's, it's assuming um, obviously, like when you're buying seventy-two billion dollars worth of assets, even discount or not, right? Doesn't mean yeah. it, it can't sink below. No, you know, it doesn't mean you know it can't affect I mean, right? your it 
can't affect your balance sheet later. Right. Now, again, this is mainly, this is deposits and loans. So um, it'll affect the bank's ratios. Well, yeah. the, fact that the, the fact that this money is still in deposit, it is still in deposits at the SVB receiver bank that the FDIC is currently running. The fact that the money yeah. hasn't been pulled received, and taken yeah. to a different institution, which they could have been doing, suggests that it's probably not going anywhere. Like, what do you mean not and going so, anywhere? You mean like... Oh, that it'll go into First uh, First Citizens Bank and that the holder, that the person whose money is deposited isn't about to pull it and take it to J.P. Morgan, isn't about to pull it and take it to Chase Manhattan. That oh, they, they were oh, happy to let okay. it stay. They were happy to let it once FDIC stepped in. Because they've had, again, since since last week, they've had the ability to take this money and go to a different bank. Yeah. And, and because they have not done so, it would seem to suggest that they're they're not overly concerned about where their money goes. They are, but they're like they're yeah. they're trusting the system. Yeah. So they're probably not gonna go, oh, first citizens, absolutely not. Take it to Wells Fargo, please. Yeah. I doubt that'll happen. So they're probably not gonna worry about too much depositor flight. Well, I I think we can say a couple of things about this is one, the markets seem to like it pretty pretty good, right? I mean, first citizens or first, first citizens, citizens is up fifty three percent today, weren't they? Th- they were up quite a bit and then you know, they they kind of retreated a little bit since, but well, um but yeah, I mean fifty three percent in a day is I mean, if yeah. you're down 20%, they stop trading. Yeah, dude, that's... Okay, so, all right then. I guess, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's quite the performance. Yeah, day high, wow. 9, 10. Yeah, so you're you right, open. yeah. They, like, okay, I, I was looking at something else probably, but uh, yeah. They, so, I, obviously, the markets are pretty optimistic about this deal. Um, it seems like nobody's going to... Apparently, none of the depositors are freaking out now. They closed, they, they closed Friday at 582.55. And they opened Monday at 868, right? Mm-hmm. So that's after hours trading. That was yeah. pretty wild. But so, yeah, but we have to put that all into today's yeah. trading. And so, yeah, 50, up 53% today. Yeah, so they closed. So I think that essentially is like the optimism here, obviously, I think furthers your point in the sense that like I, the money's not leaving, right? It's staying. Oh, it's, or isn't expected to. Yeah. And then, but then more than that, when you find out that your bank, essentially it's, it's what they've done is they've said, hey, I've bought, um, I have purchased $74 billion worth of cash and um, m- uh, loans expected to pay out as cash for $50 billion. And mm-hmm. um the most it's going to cost me is 500 million in a payout, maybe. Although with a 53% increase, probably well, in full. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, oh, and that, but that's not even the best part because there's also a loss share agreement um, with the FDIC. So what's loss share agreement? What's so the loss share that? agreement exists out of receiver. So both these things, this sale discount and then a loss share agreement, they tend they can only come out of receivership. They can only come after a bank has failed. So SVB has failed. It's in receivership. The FDIC mm-hmm. is making these offers. Um, so a loss share agreement is an agreement the FDIC will enter with a company where the FDIC will essentially say, these are a tranche of your assets. We're going to go mm-hmm. through multiple tranches if they're available. And we're going to say that after you take either a full bath on a particular tranche, the FDIC will be on the hook for 80% of all future losses in the remaining Whoa. tranches. What? Yeah. So- You've got loans, so now I've purchased these loans. But here's the best part: if I'm if I'm a first citizen, uh, first citizens bank share holder is wait. So we got we bought these deposits and these loans at a discount, and eighty percent of the downside risk of these loans is being it's borne been, by the FDIC. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. and you're essentially, just, you're just. I mean, that's just that's like a chinchilla mattress. I don't know. Dude, like, I, I feel like so. I feel like the sweetheart deal is like okay, so. You know what a caller is when you, when you trade options, right? When you buy stocks, sell a cover yeah. call, and buy a put. Exactly. I feel yeah. like that's kind of what it is for uh, for first citizens, right? It's just like you yeah. buy super cheap, like seventy two billion dollars worth of assets. You buy it for a twenty three percent discount. Oh, by the way, you're protected eighty percent on the downside from the SDIC. 
Also, you know, the most like in case this does go really, really well for you, um, you know, most you'll be out of pocket is, is less than is less $500 million, yeah, right? It's, it's substantially less than the discount. you Yeah. Got, so the $500 million, which, it's essentially just like a short derivative contract if you want to think about it that way, but, but cash settled, right? So it's your shorter exactly. futures contract as cash settled. So your first citizens, they don't actually have to deliver the $500 million worth of first citizens shares. They just deliver. No, and, they, and they haven't had bucks. to surrender them. So there's not a new right. shareholder there's, yeah, there's or a dilution. No, they're just, exactly. They're saying, there's no hey, dilution. Look, they still have if, control, right? <laughs> so, yeah. And it doesn't affect their common share market. And what they do is if our, if our common shares end up a certain amount or end up, uh, end yeah. up enough by a certain date, um, depending on, and depending on the terms, mm-hmm. and they say, well, it, you know, the best, the, the most we're possibly going to be out is, um, is half a billion is five hundred million dollars, which okay, yeah, basically got sixteen and a half billion for free. Okay, you only yep. got sixteen billion for free. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But then think about think about this. Like think about what that think about what a fifty three percent stock price increase would mean for any any normal shareholder that held stock Friday yeah. at close. Yeah. No, you were having a you had a great day today. You had a fantastic day today. You had a better day than I did. That's for I will sure. warn you. I will <laughs> warn you that this week ahead, I expect I would expect more volatility. As say what Jim Craver said that was correct is that uh, oh this yeah, is a deal like this stuff, um, these options, this bank sale from FDIC is only possible in liquidations. The bank had to fail for this to occur. And yeah. I'll be honest, if this is what's calming the market, that banks are solid. Then again, what you're saying is the bank has to fail for these things to succeed in the future. And so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, well, yeah. I, I think Aaron and I, you, you and I both agree that the bank should have failed. Yes, 100%. And, yeah. You know, their, their um, chief risk officer, Kim Olson, oh, had only yeah. been there since January 4th. For the yeah. eight preceding months Before of some of the 4th, wildest yeah. times, they had no chief risk officer. Yeah. January 4th, by the way, was the second business day of the year. So it's not like, yeah. you know. So she basically <laughs> had two months to try and undo eight months of no one at the helm and then whatever the yeah. tenure of the previous um, chief risk chief, officer yeah. was. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not going to say that person's name. Uh, you can look it up for yourself. <laughs> just look up who she was. And you can say that if we're going to put the fault of this on anyone, it's probably, it's probably on her. Yeah. Or, or, no, that's actually, that's I, it's on the whole, it's on all. It's all, yeah. It's not just like, on the chief I, I can't, It's on all of management. I don't think she has like the sole jurisdiction to make no, these stupid not, decisions. But, um, like, cause, I mean, these are, that, this is piss poor management. I mean, this was just. Absolutely. Like, across the board. It's, yeah. it's, there's that great scene in margin call. Cause we're going to come back to margin call. Course, whenever every single episode. Yeah. Uh, required watching. There's that that moment where uh, Demi Moore is sitting in the room and she leans over to the CEO of the company and she goes, "I warned you about this when we talked about." This. Well, before that, right, you yeah, have yeah, you yeah. have uh, right, Kevin Stacy just going looking to her, and being like, "I I told you yeah. about this. I warned you." And then later in private, she just goes, "Obviously, things were expressed or not ex- not as ex- expressed not as they should have been." And I'm like, right. you know, I can't blame you. Everyone else was making so much money that they didn't see the party ever ending. The problem is. You left in 2022, and the party ended in March of 2020. Yeah, well, like, I think. Well, I, well, that's not that's not true either. No, the no, party. I, I mean, ended, uh, well, the party really started then, but it ended in 2020. 2022, one. really. But like, if, if, I think so. There was an interview that Jeff Gunlock did on CNBC today. So today is March 27th, right? And I think what he said was, in a way, in in much fewer words than what we have been saying, in way fewer words and way fewer cocktails. Oh yeah, we have been saying for the, like the last year and a half. But, you know, like, I mean, we've talked about, you know, the relationship between bonds and interest rates and, and you know, how aggressively rising interest rates uh, or an aggressive rising interest rate environment is not good for 
you know, the, the current outstanding Certain bond market. Classes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's terrible. I mean, even for risk-free bonds, like, it's still not good. It crushes, straight, it crushes the crushes, yield. It crushes the yield. It improves the yield. It crushes the value. Yeah, exactly. So it crushes the actual capital value of the uh, of the actual mm-hmm. the par value or not the par value. Par yeah, well, it's not the par value. Whatever you know, the trading the trading price of the bond, whatever I'm trying to see. You know, yeah, the trading price. <laughs> it, the yield starts to do great because the right. capital value of the bond, the the capital gain, quickly becomes um, gone. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. So that's why there's yield. Um, but Jeffrey Gunlock in his interview today, like, what what are some of the things you said? I, I, the big thing that I took away from it was. If the Fed had been correct, or if the Fed had, uh, been, if the Fed had been paying okay, attention yeah. to, to drunkenomics, and I'm not saying mm-hmm. uh, a lot does, uh, but if he, he sounds <laughs> an awful lot like he uh, like he's been listening to some people that I know, and that <laughs> some of you have been listening to for three years now. Yeah, um, Jeffrey Gunlock yeah, sounds no, like he if, drinks if the same the, exact whiskey that I do. Um, exactly. Go on. There's something in the whiskey, my guy. <laughs> um, no, if he, he, but he said essentially that if the Fed had not assumed that inflation was transitory, if yeah. the Fed had been proactive sooner. That was the big thing have, that I think he said was was that yeah. He said they, they could have raised rates to the current level with smaller in- increases. I mean, I don't remember him actually saying this part, but kind of to me, it would make more sense that if if they'd been a little more aggressive early, or at yeah. least just been proactive sooner, we could be at a net neutral interest rate, real interest rate, or we could be at a net positive real interest rate right now at the 5% we're currently sitting at, done I, over two years instead of over the course of one. I don't even think we needed, like, it, it, just think about, like, we had a whole year of QE and uh, zero interest rate. Because, like, if, if you think about it, like, when you can't lower interest rates anymore, like, how do you keep stimulating the economy you, you have to expand QE. You have to exp- yeah, you have to expand the balance sheet and boy, and boy uh, ha- so, has the fed done that even in the last two weeks they've really expanded the balance sheet techni- new, yeah I mean, it's um, not qe technically yeah, it's just new lending facilities well it's like, new lending facilities and overnight re- and, and repo programs yeah, which yeah, is it's, which it, I, I, I know dude, I, I, the more i learn about repo programs and the repo markets the more yeah. i'm like oh man I don't, I don't know how i feel about it right like i feel like I'm, well, i don't and, mind and, it and i know i know why the banks do it it's because they see an opportunity for arbitrage they see an opportunity to overnight make some money right. and so they play the game and they all play the game and it's like yeah but, it, but that's you know, a lot of times it comes back to bite them too because like if you're ba- if you're a bank you've either, you've either taken repo funds or you've given repo funds right like and yeah. pretty frequently, like, and the thing about the repo facility is I just, I feel like it's like a, you know, like, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling right now. Like I'm, I might be insolvent unless you lend me this much money in three days. And yeah. after three business days for me, when I make some money back, um, I'll pay you back with a little bit of interest. Like I, that to me just screams just inefficient business and insolvency issues and I, whatever you want to well, call you it. You should be just, running up on insolvency issues that often. Yeah, exactly. Where you, where you really... need to borrow. Uh, and like, honestly, like, okay, I, I get the arbitrage opportunity. I 100% get that. But, you know, it seems like every week you're yeah, seeing. The fact that people are going to these facilities as often as they are. Every, and suggests... as, and as, well, like it's, it used to not be this active. Like Remember when it first crossed one trillion dollars, and everybody was yeah. like, "What is that?" Like repo markets are one trillion. It's like a year ago. It was like, or maybe even more. It was like a, you know, a little over a year ago, and people were like, mm-hmm. "What?" Like, dude, everybody keep an eye on the repo markets, man. It's nine hundred fifty million dollars or nine hundred fifty billion dollars this week. Oh my god, nine hundred eighty billion dollars, and and then next thing you know, cross one trillion, everybody's like freaking out. You know, it's like, yeah, no, it does, it does. It's definitely a cause for concern because it's like, why do we need? Why does it need to be this active? Like, what what are people doing? That, yeah. That, it's very, it's very much activity. a, um, and this is, and this would be my argument for, um, for the Fed and for the FDIC, who also oversees banks, and really for the SEC and any other financial regulator that's available. 
is these are meant to be places that are used for essentially last chance. Like this is supposed to be a yeah, it's supposed to be like a, a last resort emergency like, kind of thing. Uh, if people are hitting the panic button all the time, we often we would often say uh, let's put it this way: if you call nine one one for everything, you will get a ticket for misuse of nine one one. Yes, um, exactly. Why are these emergency lending facilities and these are being accessed so frequently by yeah. everybody? Because then they're not an emergency facility anymore. It's just yeah. this is just another way of doing business. And yeah, it's just no. You're well, you're letting banks. I mean, it's kind of it's exactly like QE. It's exactly like zero, like yeah, lower interest rates, which is like what Jeff Gunlock said. You know, somehow tying it back to what Jeff Gunlock said. It's like mm-hmm. if the Fed just had gotten over themselves, really, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like if they had just stopped saying I, it's transitory, it's transitory. It's uh, we're being data dependent. Uh, Janet Yellen being, I, I mean. I, and I respect Janet Yellen a lot. You know me. I respect Jerome Powell a lot. Like, I, she's a little dovish unpopular. for me when she came out and said the FDIC is backing this. And like, and then when she said last week that the Fed or that the Treasury would be uh, potentially willing to step in to any bank if necessary. I was like, no. I was like, I That's, understand what you're trying to do, but no. Bad well, decisions I, I, should be punished. Well, this is the, I, I agree, but I, I feel like Janet Yellen... Now that she's in the treasury and not the Fed, she's playing politics. Well, she has so, to. She's part of the yeah, political ex- administration. Exactly. She's yeah. yeah. So maybe, let's put this way. Poor one I, out. I think I she's know. really she's really wishing she wasn't dealing with this. I think she wishes she was she could just be dealing with the problem that she's facing come June or July. Yeah. But, um, no, no, no. We're, right, <laughs> you know, exactly. Janet, but, if it makes you feel any better, I might not be thrilled with the way you've handled some of this, but I know this isn't your fault. No, exactly. Well, and, and you know what? Like, and I'm sorry that you had to eat this appetizer, and then you know, in July, you have this other entree waiting for you too. But Absolutely. like it's, I mean, it's, it's, I think to Jeff Gunlock's point, it's just like he. I, it, this is more or less like what we've been trying to say because if you think about it, if they got ahead of uh, inflation, right? If they said like, okay, we see we're forecasting inflation starting to just run wild this fall and this winter, and to get ahead of that, let's start. Let's start yeah. twenty five basis points here. To, you know, and the problem with them was like the reason why bond markets did get crushed last year. I think is because they raised it too too fast. And they had to, to yeah. try because they're like, oh man, we were so how did we how were we so wrong in inflation? Oh geez, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but you had but, you had all the warning in the world. And they, I mean, everybody they was saying, saying everybody was saying that. Like literally everybody in the world, except for people within the Federal Reserve, were saying like it, you know, inflation's yeah, not transitory. And, it, and, it, and it, you know, that's the problem. And so, and so I guess what we had because he came out and um because Gunlock Hanton said essentially the Fed has it can do it can do one of two, but it can't do both. It can either right. it can either deal with inflation or it can deal with the recession that should be coming at the end of the year. But at this point, it's too late. Yeah, it's the Titanic heading for the iceberg. Yeah, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You start right, setting yeah. it away message, and it can start like sealing its watertight hatches now <laughs> because it can't yeah. avoid the iceberg anymore. It's gotta <laughs> it's gotta do something. Yeah, it's. Um, you know, I, we've been saying a recession is inevitable. I hate to say, I hate recessions, so I I, I don't want, I mean, recessions are kind of sometimes yeah, necessary. Yeah, they're, some, they're sometimes necessary, but it's like, well, correction, you know, Corrections I, are always necessary. Yeah. you need to correct. Yeah, things recession, get overpriced, yeah. But. Think of it this way, um, a correction is always necessary. Recession, for lack of better terms, is an overcorrection that creates its own negative problems. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when you're driving. A correction is always necessary. An overcorrection can be devastating or it's a recession. And that's, right. and that's what we're dealing with now is that we've, we've under, they undercorrected and they overcorrected. And to mm-hmm. be fair, they haven't stopped correcting because just, inflation's still here. I mean, just right. go ask the UK. The UK bucked three months of declining oh, inflation yeah. to rise to 10.4%. Yeah. And I think, I think we saw kind of the same um, thing in Europe too, was like, you know, like inflation also went up in Europe, which it, it ticked up. Right. So, I mean, it's not just a 
you know, American problem. This is a global problem for sure. But no, like, I think global problem. Yeah. But like, I, I don't know what the Fed was waiting for back in, what was it? 2021. So in 20, I, I don't know what they were waiting for to, yeah. to not hike interest rates. Like what no, were the they? Fed, um, yeah. The Fed, the Fed really missed the boat when they didn't start a calendar year of 0% of zero to a quarter percent interest. And that just the volume yeah. of quantitative easing that just had occurred for all for, for nine months of 2020 and then three months of 2021. Yeah, that's it. Why'd you take, why'd you take this long to taper? It took the taper took nine months of 2021 yeah, to taper. Not even, so like tapering, you're not still, even to get to zero. Yeah, you're still keying, you're still getting the facilities out there, but you're not even you're like, the, and so while you're tapering, guess what? The balance sheet is still expanding. You're not doing anything to, to, I mean, aside from bonds just naturally maturing, like nothing is happening. We're yeah, we're, we're not pulling any liquidity. Yeah, we're just, we're just quantitative tightening. So you know, I think um, you have you know you so have a what, Fed that, for lack of better terms, uh, had never faced the kind of crisis they were actually they were currently facing, which was to say that it was a to say that the shock to the economy affected supply, not demand, and yeah. it affected the economy in a way nothing had in a hundred years. And even then, a hundred years ago, the Spanish flu yeah. didn't do what this did the spanish flu killed people killed killed many yeah. millions but it didn't it didn't have the potential to over well the spanish flu did overwhelm communities and everything else but they locked down they they were things going on well, other yeah. than a world war but you know <laughs> the last time we saw a disease that spread with a kind of virulence of, of covid was was a thousand you know the it was plague. the, it was the yeah. black death the bubonic plague and it it changed the the face of Europe specifically, and then, well, mm -hmm. Europe and Asia as well. And then, uh, but it, it changed hugely the way that the Western, the Western Europe specifically viewed economics and the rights and relationships of employees to land and, and, to, and to work and to, you know, the feudal society that existed. Oh, you know, oh. yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, and then you see, you're seeing that now. You're seeing a similar thing now. And it's, it's this idea that, not to get too, too out of it, but it's, yeah. you know, it was a place that people couldn't work because the illness prevented them. It wasn't that, oh, we don't have any oil to run the factory. All the, all the means of production, with some exceptions, were present. Like the yeah. factory worked. It had power. Because yeah. a foundry wasn't functioning in China, there may not have been steel to be throughput, or rather the steel was all coming from different sources, so it was more expensive than historically. Right, to, to the build case. a car, to but, do, yeah. But all yeah. the resources were there with cars, not necessarily the semiconductors, but then once more. But as a whole, like in the US, like restaurants were closed for, in many places for months. Bars mm. were the same thing. There was liquor there. There was beer there. There was food that could get there that could be yeah. compared by the staff. It wasn't, it wasn't that there was- Well, I mean, uh, to your point, like, you know, so like the supply of money just increased like crazy too. The oh, velocity yeah. of money also increased like crazy because that's just kind of what happens. Yeah, because the, like, because the demand for money didn't really increase. Yeah, well, I mean, it, the demand I for mean, cash it did. It demand does. for cash did. Let's say that. Yes, but, but call that. Let's call that a lack of trust. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> funny, uh, funny how we come full circle. Yeah, um. <laughs> funny how between illness and um, mismanagement, people can go to cash. Yeah, fixed real income quick. portfolio mismanagement, complete mismanagement on that end. Uh, yeah, funny how we come full circle, but. I, I'm so thankful for the Scumlock interview because it's the first post-Fed interview, if you want to call it that, right? Because we had the Fed meeting yeah. on Wednesday. They, they uh, said we, and know, they raised interest rates 25, 25 basis points, points which, which earlier in the month, we said, so yeah, we assumed 50. Earlier in the month, we assumed 50, and we weren't alone there. The bond markets also assumed, if you looked at the bond prices- Street had priced early, 50. Yeah, they, 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 I mean, bond markets got crushed. We saw the yields contract, right? Especially with this, we saw all the yields contract. 
mm-hmm. after uh, the the SVB fallout and all that kind of stuff. And see then, two banks failing and one bank closing mm-hmm. in a you know Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What five day period? Yeah. Actually, technically in a four day period because it happened after hours on Wednesday, so that's Thursday business. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So in four days, three banks discontinued existence. Two of them. By regulatory force. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you're I, I think you're absolutely seeing was that interest rates? No. As I, I said last week, it, it was it was the interest rates are the medicine for a high inflationary environment that yeah. exists solely because people were asleep at the wheel yeah, or so. refused to tighten. It's like I could even see the Fed keeping keeping interest rates low if they tightened sooner. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. Like I feel like for, first of all, like the tapering should have been lost. You know, and obviously this is hindsight twenty twenty. Faster. Yeah. A so lot like, faster. Like this is all hindsight twenty twenty. And I don't like I think Gunlock probably I mean like if you ask anybody in in the bond world, in the fixed income trading municipal bond federal government bond, corporate bond, whatever it is, any bond trading, like Gun- Gunlock's the man there. Like he, he's absolutely you know, multi-billionaire. His, uh, I forget the name of his company. I should know it too. The double line? Double line. That's right. Double line. Yeah. They, I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar uh, fixed income manager. I'll assume, I'll assume it's you know. the accounting joke that when you're done with all the math, the very last number you're left with, you do a double underline. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just how I honestly you know think that's, that's what it is. That I think I, I think he's he's got an accounting background, Jeff Gunlock. But yeah, yeah I mean, you, you you'll find that you'll find that most fixed income people yeah, so like tend he, to come from accounting. Yeah, and, and, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like a lot of a uh, lot of interest rate stuff. But yeah, like he's yeah, Jeff Gunlock. I mean, he's multi billionaire, really smart guy. Uh, you know, I I think the street the, his street cred is either you either love him or you hate him. But everybody, yeah, everybody and, respects and him. Usually, the reason yeah. you love him is because you agree with him. The reason you hate him is because you're afraid he might be right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> because you're the contrarian. Yeah. So I hate when uh, he says like, this because he's usually it's like, right. Oh man, it's exactly. For me. It's like, oh man, well, I'm positioned opposite that. So shoot. But yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah. this what we were saying earlier, like when he said, like you can't have your cake and eat it too. I think he's kind of forecasting no. this point where, like, okay, the Fed. Like right now, the yield curve's inverted. I think this is something he's saying too. Like the yield curve inverted is either him or maybe somebody else was saying this too. But I was I was watching a lot of CNBC today. But the yield curve inverted and it kind of uninverted a little bit. But last, uh, you know, the last time the yield curve or pretty much every single time the yield curve has predicted a recession, it inverts and then it starts to uninvert and then and then the recession happens. So yeah, and that's usually because yeah, the so, uninversion comes from some sort of intervention. Yeah, well, it doesn't completely uninvert, right? It's, it start, it no. starts to uninvert, right? It starts to level off a little bit, and then the recession starts to unfold, right? So, but that that's kind of what we saw, you know, the last month, the month of March, it kind of un, you know, it oh, kind yeah. of flattened a little bit, right? The the two yeah. and ten got a little bit less negative. And, and like the thing is, people, I think a lot of like my issue is a lot of people are distracted, but like you know, I know a few people in the construction industry. Yeah, it's not great out there not not very many new projects well not that many housing i've looked at real estate prices yes there are things sitting on the market i I saw a house sitting on the market and there was a point in lincoln where you were getting an like you put your house in the market monday you had an offer for cash by friday yeah and so that tells me okay the rate the increase in interest rates what has that done well, it's priced a lot of people. Yeah. Low, low, it, let's put this: way. it's priced a lot of low-income people out of the housing market. Yeah. Period. I would say we knew half, that, but to be I, fair, they were already yeah. priced out by the, by the yeah. skyrocketing housing. So prices. now you're starting to um, price out the middle, like you know, the middle income, you know, people that have been making. Because yeah. honestly, like, I mean, for the longest time, if you if you're 24, 25 years old, making fifty grand, like that's a great out of college job, yeah. right? Now no. it's not. <laughs> like, yeah. The, pro- the problem now is, I think you're kind of looking at like. And I think it, 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 it should be a real wake-up call for society at large, is that the biggest transfer in wealth in U.S. history is about to happen. Yeah. It's already started, but it's about to really happen. And that's as the baby boomers die. 
Yeah, um, but that'll take a long time. Like, it's not going to happen in a span of five years. I think it's going to happen. No, over a span it's going to happen like over the course of about years. ten to fifteen. Ten to fifteen, I think, is kind of when it's going to burn itself out. Yeah. But what I'll say is this: for a lot of millennials, between the two thousand eight housing crisis, the twenty twenty crisis, the um, whatever yeah. this next little recession, whatever this next recession is going to be, because I I still firmly believe, as I've been saying for three years. That the one that COVID kind of preempted and did aggressively, that's the the comeuppance for a lot of these issues, for a lot of the economic inequality and economic problems is still due. Yeah. You've, 100%. Paved, it up, you've paved over it, but the foundation is still sinking. No, 100%. The, like, I mean, for a lot, but I guess, like, the, to long story short, for a lot of millennials, the only way they're going to get a house is when their parents die and they inherit that house. That's kind of sad to think about, too. <laughs> We're getting like, to a, yes, it is. It's very sad because it, you're sitting here going, like, wait, how has the greatest nation on earth, how has the wealthiest nation on earth gotten to a point where the only way for the young to afford to buy houses is to either buy something awful, yeah. get a pretty outrageous loan, be born rich, which is really convenient, yeah. or, or inherit property when, when their family dies, which that should, tell, that should tell you right there. And that segment was that brought you have, to you by you- BlackRock Investments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be fair, if they had their way, they could... They'd make an offer on your house when your parents died too. I do, God, yeah. I <laughs> try to undercut that. This is seriously my own personal opinion, but if you share it with me, I'm okay no. with it. BlackRock is is a very evil corporation. I don't know if it, so. Regardless. Evil may not be the right word. Absolutely amoral. Okay, uh, it has I, it has no interest in stake, almost, it has no interest in stakeholders, only in shareholders, and it's more concerned with with making money than it is inherently with. Yeah. what it's what it's building it's, it's a, i'll say it's short-sighted oh no, yeah 100 like it, like you know like i mean it'll, it'll I, I you know I, i'll just stop right there like it's it's very evil corporation i'll say this it, it it definitely drives me to the idea that you have two different real estate property tax you, you 100 states would yeah states would be in a position where creating two separate property tax codes would not be an inherently bad yeah exactly thing. where they'd go but, if this is this is a privately if this is a private family home Owned by a corporation, it will be taxed at a different rate. Yeah, at a less preferential rate. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that should be because there are corporations like BlackRock, which I I, I I don't want this to be a necessary thing, but I think it should be because people like Larry Fink and BlackRock exist. But you know, to yeah. your point, I I think I hate to say it, but like it, it seems like a recession is almost inevitable, and I think at some point the Fed, because they've they've been way too late to the game. They're going to have to stop hiking here pretty soon. I think they're. I think they're going to have to. Probably right. You know, they're probably going to have to plateau at, at, at maybe one more twenty five. Like maybe one more twenty five. Markets. I don't see it. I don't see them being able to go above five and a half to five seventy five. I, I agree. I don't and see I, them. I don't see more than fifty basis points left. And that's what Jeff Gunlock was saying. Which, like, you know, like the reason why, like, if we do have a recession, and there, if if the recession does last as long as it does, it's all because the Fed. I think. You know, and Jeff Gunlock really convinced me about this, but like he was like, it's it because the Fed didn't get ahead of this, right? So now, like they're in a situation where they kind of have to hike into a recession. They tried to navigate themselves to the Fed to to a soft landing, but they were late. They're you know, like when you uh, you find the problem too late. Look, I've jumped off a lot of diving boards before, and sometimes when you don't realize you haven't gone through that spin enough, you know what you end up with? A concussion. Belly flop. Oh, close enough. Okay. <laughs> they say the belly flop is the concussion of the, of of the, the stomach. stomach. Yeah, God, yeah. That's, <laughs> of the abs that uh, you have and yeah, the gag I, I possess. Uh, uh, I mean, this is more just a six-pack six of beer. Yeah, I was um, going to say, but, but, but my rule has always been why have a six-pack when you can have a keg. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually a really good point. I mean, I don't know. CO2 is expensive, but... Uh, oh, got him. Fair. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, I, I think Gunlock was saying, like, I think 
what the Fed should do. This this is weird. I, I don't know if I agree with Gunlock on this, but he's a lot smarter than I am. So he said, I think the Fed should probably lower rates, let things kind of calm down, let the bond markets kind of calm down a little bit, and then start re- and then start hiking rates again. Go to another 25, maybe another 50 later, and then from there, let it sit there for a while and then come back down. But I think that's that's such a yeah. prolonged process. I think he's right, because here's the first thing I think the Fed's going to do if we run when we run into recession, not if, but when, yeah. is they're probably going to, they're going to want to cut rates. And my response to that is no, yeah. no, you can't. You're going to have to keep rates the same. If you're really going to, if you really want to put money into the markets. Well, here's my thing is Take uh, down inflation? who are you trying to get money to? Well, yeah, I, I agree. Cause like, I think you, if you cause, like, cause like the thing is, okay, fine. It costs a lot of money to borrow money, but guess what? Things are getting cheaper. That is going to be much more helpful. As, as say is, you've than, already got these banks abusing the repo markets. Tell them yeah. game over. Repo markets are a thing that we're, don't use interest rates to to deal with this next to deal with this next recession. They're going to have to use QE and QT, and that scares me a lot. Actually, I, I don't, the fact I, that I, I don't, that, that they have to I I think they know. have to deal with it that way. I don't like that either. And here's the I real problem: yeah. if um if we end up with a real economic problem, if we compare, so 2008 they gave money to the corp, to corporations and banks, and they said here fix it. And the pain coming out of 2008 lasted years, mm-hmm. and um I would say never actually recovered. I think people are still feeling that yeah. pain. 2020 of the same issue, except this time, aside on top of giving money to the banks and saying, here, fix it, which they didn't then either. Big surprise, they're not going to, folks. <laughs> the government then turned around to peep to the citizens of this country and said, hey, look, here's money from this side of things. And that's part of what caused, I'm not going to say that's what caused the inflationary problem. It isn't. It's part of what has pulled us out of, the, of that recession so fast yeah. that, um, that the economy really did bounce back very quickly because because you allowed demand to continue. Yeah. And well, I, I, think I don't think it helped with inflation at all. It but didn't. I don't it think didn't it, create, it maybe it did, caused maybe 10% of- It maybe caused 10% of the inflation that actually occurred. Sure. Maybe. If it caused 10, here's what I'll say. If it caused 10%, corporate greed caused 40. <laughs> and, and the other 50% is supply chain. Um, okay, fair Between enough. not having product and not being able to get the product from A to B. And right. that's, yeah. that's where I'm going to go on that one. Yeah. So I think, I, so I, so I think, I think next recession you have to, I hate to say this because it's not, it, it's not a great plan that you're having to go to this twice in five years, but it's also not great that you have to bail out banks every, no, every no, 10. Not- so, I mean, frankly, my view, fuck them. If they're going to, if they're going <laughs> to, okay, if they're going to, if they're going to, well, if they're going to, if you're going to have, if you're going to make bad decisions, if you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes in my No, mind. I'm with you. I like, listen, man, I, Robert De Niro was a great character in Goodfellas. Okay, Jimmy Conway. Absolutely. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's, uh, if, if the, if the banks are going to keep acting like, uh, Tommy, yeah. eventually they're going to get made. <laughs> Literally. Um, yeah, you like I that like one. That. that was great. Um, oh no. Bob. Uh, exactly. But no, yeah. I think I think the Fed, I, not the Fed, but the Treasury. If it's still, I mean, I don't even know what's going to happen if this all kicks off in July or August. Oh, but gosh, um, yeah. I think the the Fed's going to have to use um, QE and QT tools to try and navigate this next crisis. I think it's going to. I think the they're going to have to. I think they're going to have to give money to to average citizens again. I think that's what's going to have to happen. You have to go. Well, look, we bailed out banks, and it doesn't solve the problem. But when we give money to people, they survive. Yeah, so I I think okay, so I think this I, honestly like I I think that's a good plan. It's it's the best um, of all the bad plans. 
It's not a great plan. Okay, yeah. Say that. Well, I, I, that's what I mean. Like, I, I, I don't love the plan. I'm not in love with the plan. I don't you no, know, but I, I, but I, 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 I like it go. much better than here's here's all this free lending to these major banks, like the TARP program. Remember that? What a great idea it was in hindsight, right? I think it was yeah. very much a manipulated. But it didn't. But I, it didn't keep them. But it didn't keep Americans in their houses. I, I think it was really stabilized. Okay, yes, one. All that is true. Like if if you want to if you want to play the political game of all right, like this is how helpful it was. It put it kept people in houses. It helped all. All right, it, which well, is true. It did. It tar- did. Tarp didn't really though. It, if you were going to lose your house, you lost your house. Right. Uh, but, COVID certainly helped. It helped certain aspects but it didn't stabilize the, the housing market right but like like the thing about tarp um, right it, like is like there were like great tangible benefits to the economy right and to, to yes. normal people right it certainly provided all those benefits to yeah. normal people but i honest and this is still my harebrained thing right and i'm i'm not gonna let go of this i'm sorry you know but uh so, you know i don't know who gave me the mic right this is this is just the way it is but I really think it was one of those things where it's like, okay, we've been running this major deficit for a super long time. Let's uh, let's buy all these bonds from all these different banks and then lower the interest rates so that uh, we can really feed that deficit, make $12 billion a month by lowering interest rates. So exactly. there could have been that too. But I think, so to your point, I, I like giving money to just normal people, you know, and I say that selfishly a little bit, obviously. Yeah. Um, but like, it's true. Yeah. Like, I'm, so do I. I, <laughs> like, I say that because it's like, I like that better than TARP because like, I don't think TARP directly helped that many people on the, on the ground floor. Like, I think it, I no. think it really just helped the, the people that caused the, the system yeah. to fail. Yeah. So it, it, it helped the people who created the problem. It helped, it helped the larry things of this then, world. Like that's literally. But then did they turn? But then did they turn around and did they and did they hold the bucket for the people they made all that money off of? Right. No. No, they didn't. They, they threw them under the bus and they went. They threw the baby out with the bathwater and they went. Oh. Well, but where? Why, but we're why safe. would you do this? Why would you do this? Yeah. Pointing the finger at them, us. And they blame them. They said, "Why'd you try to buy a house you couldn't afford?" Why, I'm like, "Why'd well, you take on a subprime oh, loan?" Buddy. It's like, "Well, why'd you make a subprime? Why'd you? Why'd you? Why'd you make Ninja? Why'd you loan them that money?" Yeah. It's like, well. Wh- yeah. It's like, okay, why'd you take out a subprime loan? Well, why'd you make the loan available, right? Like, you were the ones that came yeah, up with Ninja. You, you, like, the Ninja loan. No income, no job. You're the ones that came up with that. Yeah, you you created <laughs> this thing. You know it's a bad idea. Or you should. If yeah. you don't, I've got news. You kind of deserve to fail. But yeah, no, that's that's where I'm at. And it's Well, it's, I mean, but I'll tell you what isn't a bad idea is uh, if you wanted to keep yourself warm with a Junkonomics hoodie, uh, they come in multiple colors, including black and darker black, and they can also be found at Junkonomics.myspreadshop.com that's what it Here's is. Here's the great thing. We are coming yeah, We are coming out of winter. We're coming into spring. Oh, that's We're right. Into Sun's out, guns out season. We talked about this last week. I should and uh, it is Sun's out, guns out season. So I do know that we have uh, we have t-shirts. We have sleeveless. We have golf polos that you too can look as awesome as Aaron while you're swinging your clubs. Probably better, but um, yeah. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate it. If that's, if, that's not your, if that's not your cup of gin, if that's not your glass of whiskey, if that's not your tumbler of <laughs> old-fashioned. Um, oh, I was going to say like a Manhattan. Chianti. Tumbler of Chianti. If, so yeah, if that's, if, that's not, if, if that's not your glass of Chinon. <laughs> then by all means, um, if you if you're looking to quantitatively ease the Drunkonomics project, nice. uh, hop, skip, and jump your way over to um, love what it. What is it called again? Patreon. There we go. P a t r u n. That's u m slash Drunkonomics. D r u n k u n o m i c s. Leave a tip in the tip jar. Help us uh, keep the ice cubes cold. Keep the fruit peeled. Stop the fruit. The fruit fresh and peeled. Um, yeah. Keep a. Let's Whatever put it this else way. It is. Let's. You, you got to fund some of our some of our excursions. Uh, we've got Aaron going to Goldwater Brewing. We've got James. That's gonna happen. Just, 
going drinking at Metallica concerts. Yeah, so if you if you want to if you feel the need to uh, to like I said, QE for us and not and not and not get anything out of it. If you if you want to be part of your very own TARP program, <laughs> uh, check us out at Patreon. Help us keep the lights on. Yes. And the mics hot. Seriously, yeah. Any help is very much appreciated there. Not to mention the fact that you're drinking with Absolutely. us is very much appreciated. Seriously, I enjoy all these drinks with you guys. So with that, my encouragement Absolutely, to you it. as I fill and kill, as I hope you have filled and killed too. Also, uh, continue to yes. not brag, just say, continue to play chess, not checkers, but most importantly, do that, uh, what was that, uh, what was... Well, first and foremost, uh, you gotta stay drunk and amicable. That's what it is. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. <laughs>